And if you remember the, with the life of Moses, Moses was born as a, as a young Hebrew boy at a time that the, the Hebrews were in slavery, like Egyptian slavery, for somewhere between 200 and most likely on the upper side of close to 400 years of slavery, like decade after decade, century after century, like generation after generation, the only thing they've known is slavery. And here, the Egyptian pharaoh puts out this edict or this law that says every firstborn boy is going to be killed. And like that would have been me. If you're a firstborn boy, that would have been you. And so his mom did what she knew to do, and she threw him in a basket to save his life and, and just prayed that God would protect and keep him some of you mamas that sent your kids to school this week, that's what you feel like. Or sent them off to college or high school or whatever. You're just praying, like, God, keep them, you know. But, God, but um, uh, Moses is found by the Pharaoh's daughter and brought into the house of Pharaoh. And so he was raised with, like, the best education and with literally probably a silver spoon in his mouth all while his cousins and brothers and sisters were being raised in the fields in slavery. And here he is in the palace, but God had a plan for his life, and, and as God is, is showing this to Moses, like, hey, you just didn't come through everything you've come through. Your journey hasn't looked like it's looked on accident, but I actually have a plan for your life, and I'm actually going to use you to deliver your own people out of slavery, like by my mighty hand, and in the conversation he's having with Moses about his calling, Moses is pretty nervous about it, and he's got lots of excuses for why it's not him that God wants to use. And I'll let you read through the whole thing, but we'll just pause here for just a, a quick glimpse of it here in chapter 4 of Exodus. Moses said to the Lord, pardon your servant, Lord, I've never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you've spoken to your servant. I'm slow of speech and tongue. And the Lord said to him, who gave human beings their mouths, right? Drop the mic. Who, who makes them deaf or mute? Who gives them sight and makes them blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go, I'm going to help you speak and I'll teach you what to say. The, the discourse goes on. The conversation continues here in Exodus chapter 4 of Moses trying to barter with God about this call on his life. The first thing I, I want you to know about the harvest that you might not realize is that it's, the harvest is not all about you. It's not that it's not about you, it's just not all about you. If we look biblically at what the harvest is, I really see three different instances or scenarios that the scripture tells us. There's some different types of harvest. The first is a personal harvest. Like there is actually something that we get out of it. And so that's when I say it's not all about you. It is about you. It's just not all, all about you. That God wants to use you. Like we see in Romans chapter one with Paul and he said, look, it's good that all that we're sowing here, it's good that we reap a, a, a little harvest here. We look at 2 Corinthians chapter um, 6, um, verse 9, and, and uh, God is saying, I give more seed to the sower, and what you reap is a harvest of righteousness, that we become more like Christ. Like There's a personal, like our lives are changed. Like That's an amazing harvest. If we look at Malachi chapter 3, it says, when you trust me with your finances, when you trust me with the tithe, when you put me first in that, what follows is, is blessing. Like your barns are going to be overflowing, your vats are going to be overflowing, and I'm going to prevent pests. Like there is a personal harvest to be gained. There's also a, a kingdom harvest. If we look to John chapter 4, we see Jesus after meeting with the woman at the well and the disciples return back to him. 
And, you know, they think he's going to be hungry. And he said, my food is to do the will of the Father. He said, I have food you know nothing about. And he goes on to say, he says, open your eyes. Open your eyes. Look at the fields. They're ripe for harvest. And I think that speaks to us of this kingdom harvest, that, that it's not just like our relationship with God and then like we'll make it to heaven. No, like there's, there's this in-between that God has called us to, that we are Christ's ambassadors. It's as if, as Paul says, God is making his case, he's making his appeal um, to, to go and, and minister to people and to share them the good news and the hope we have in Christ. And so there's this kingdom harvest that, that if you've never opened your eyes to, I pray that in the next like 20, 30 minutes, whatever the service will look like, that God is going to help open our eyes to the in-between, like what God's done in my life and where he's taken me. And that's, I think, what Moses began to see. Like, okay, God, like I'm nervous about this. Hopefully you're going to carry me. I'm just going to trust you on the journey. Didn't have it all figured out. And then finally, we see Jesus talking about the final harvest. Matthew chapter 13. He says that we're actually going to let the weeds and the wheat grow together. Those that have true faith and those that just have the appearance of faith but the lack of real faith. He says we're just going to let the, the weeds and the wheat grow in and then at the final, the end of the age, we will separate the harvesters who Jesus explains is the angels will come and they'll separate the weeds from the wheat. And so there, there is a final harvest and it's with eternity in mind that we are compelled to go. That we are compelled at the in-between from what God has done in our life and all the insecurities that we start with. And it's the kingdom mission that he has called us to with eternity in mind. So a personal harvest, a kingdom harvest. And the final harvest that must compel us and guide us and say, man, this is real. I want to share this with others. Second thing you may not realize is that the, the harvest is going to be harder than you realize. Exodus chapter 16, the people have, uh, Israel has been delivered from the hands of Pharaoh. Remember, hundreds of years of slavery, and then they're delivered, and they get out, and they realize, man, this isn't as easy as I thought it was going to be, this whole freedom thing, and maybe some of you are in that place. God set you free, told you, you're free. He that the Son is set free is free indeed, and you say that, but then we find ourselves in the same cycle that we found ourselves before, and we don't feel so free. We find ourselves complaining and caught up in the same routines or addictions or mindsets that God delivered us and set us free from. And the people of Israel were there, and look at the Exodus chapter 16 with me right here. In the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, if only we had died in the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around the pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. But you've brought us out into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. Then the Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. The people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. In this day, I will test them and see whether they will follow my instructions. And on the sixth day, they are to prepare what they bring in. And that will be twice as much as they gather on the other days. God was building faith in the midst of of their pain. In the midst of their frustration, God was building faith. And sometimes we may find ourselves in that because we, we get into a season like, man, everything's going good, but why is it so hard? Like, I don't get it. Because I think we have this picture, and I think we actually think the harvest is the feast, but the, 
The feast and the harvest are two different things. We picture ourselves in the harvest season pulling up around the Thanksgiving table and sitting around it and just like stuffing ourselves and then taking a 30-minute break to go watch football and then coming back and eating more pumpkin pie. Like, no, that, that's the feast. Like, and we get glimpses of that. We get a glimpse of that eternal feast. And I think when we come and join at the table and, and, and dip the bread in, into the cup, like, I think we, we have a foretaste of what is to come and we feel God's presence. And it's a foretaste of the feast. But that's not the harvest. We're obviously not farmers because farmers know that the harvest is hard work. Like, I'm not sitting at the table yet. I'm busting my butt in the fields. Like, that is what these next four to six months are going to be for for our church. I truly believe it's not going to be a time, oh, man, everything's going great. It's going to be like, no, like, we really need to join together. And God is saying, open our eyes. The fields are ripe for harvest. And, And my heart breaks at the things that are going on in our world. It breaks. Like, you can pick anywhere on the globe, and I've been to many parts of them. And my heart breaks for just the, the hatred and the immorality that's taking place, and it's happening in our homes, and it's happening in our city just as well as it every, is everywhere else. I know it breaks your heart like it does mine. But it shouldn't scare us. It should open our eyes and say, man, people are starving for the truth. They're starving for love because all they see is hatred, hatred, hatred. And if we can just get a church, if we can get the body of Christ across the globe to just wake up to this identity that, man, if we can just be Christ, if we can care about the kingdom and see eternity, then we can introduce people to a love like they've never experienced before and change eternity for them. And God is waking us up to that. It's going to be a little bit harder than what we realize, like maybe that's, you know, like going out today and then tomorrow and like we, we think we're just going to just run in, into this like harvest season or whatever and then we see there's some fruit. Maybe, maybe it's that one relationship at work that you've been pouring into, like you sowed some seeds of listening to their story. You've sowed some seeds of um, praying for them at work. And you don't know that they believe. You don't really know where they're at on all this stuff. There seems like some semblance of belief, but they're struggling to believe. And then all of a sudden, they ask you a difficult question. And we're like, whoa, whoa, I thought this was going to be easy. <laughs> I thought this was going to be easy. Or we find them kind of falling back into the addiction that you've watched God set them free from. It's like, wait a second, I thought this was going to be easy. No, 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 the harvest is probably going to be a lot harder than what we realize. It's going to be hard work. Um, and I think the people of God have got to be, be okay with that and be ready for that. Jesus is saying, open our eyes. The fields are ripe for harvest. It's going to be a little harder than what we realize. The next thing is that the harvest is always in season. It's just not in the same field at the same time. The harvest is always in season. That's good news, because many times we, we look at this linear, like, okay, like we start here, and we, we water, and then, or we plant, and then we water, and then we prune, and then we harvest. No, I said don't look at it in a linear way, because we can be experiencing this in many different facets of our life at many different places, and that there's always a harvest. Jesus said, open our eyes. It's there. Like, there's something we can celebrate with. The people of, of Israel were having to learn this, that that, that there, and I think Moses in particular was having to learn this after the people are complaining and they're really, wait a second, we're actually going to have to believe, we're actually going to have to trust God that he's going to provide food for the day he doesn't provide it? Like he's going to provide us two days and like we just got to trust it's going to come on that Monday. 
um, the, Moses began to see this. All this grumbling was coming back to him, and he was learning this, this hard lesson. And look at, at, at Exodus chapter 17, verses 2 through 4. The complaining is continuing. So they quarreled with Moses and said, give us water to drink, man. Moses replied, why do you quarrel with me? Why do you put the Lord to the test? But the people were thirsty for water there. They grumbled against Moses. They said, why did you bring us out of Egypt to make us uh, and our children and the livestock die of thirst? Then Moses cried out to the Lord, what am I to do with these people? They're almost ready to stone me. Like, it's gotten bad. Like, that's tough leadership when the people are ready to kill you. <laughs> um, and I think f- for us, this is an important lesson that, that we need to learn that I think for Moses, he was learning it here. God had already set us free. God, God had brought them from that place. But here they found themselves in another place. And so I, for Moses, like, as a leader, I think it's, hey, what field is harvesting? My relationships not re- it must be pruning season right now. Right? God's doing something different here, but it's like looking at the other fields. like, wait a second. God just delivered us. God is providing bread, and he's providing manna and quail, as you will hear later in, in this chapter. God is providing for us in absolutely supernatural ways. Plague after plague, he's shown up, and he's leading us by a pillar of fire by night and a pillar of cloud by day. God is good. Like, celebrate. Like, God hasn't left you, but here they are complaining because they're having to trust God. And this is a huge lesson to learn that, you know, pineapples are, are going to grow in a or, or, um, avocados are going to grow in a different season than oranges will. Like a farmer doesn't walk into the fields and get mad at the avocados or the pineapples because they're not growing in season because he knows it's just not season. And, and then the, the same thing with the oranges. Like I'm just going to let them go. I'm not going to get mad and start yelling at God. I'm not, so, there's nothing to be frustrated about. It's just not the season. I think Galatians um, um, uh, 6, which we're going to look at here, in just a minute, is so appropriate for us on this, on this note. We've got to celebrate in the harvest that is there and not complain about the one that's not there yet. It might just not be time. One of the things we do with our leadership team and around here um, with our staff is we do something called wins. They're basically testimonies of God's grace, but we just say, what's the win this week? What did you see God doing? What, what, what's in your heart that you're celebrating? And in, in, some, in most seasons, it's very easy to do. There's just so much. Like this past year has just been a celebrating and celebrating and celebrating. There's nonstop. I finally have to cut it off. Like we got other things to talk about, and it's hard to do. Um, but but we, we have to move on. And, and um, what I've found that in the dry seasons, in the sowing seasons, in the watering seasons, when it's not harvest season, it's way harder to do. Because it's harder. I have to take time and really look and celebrate. the, Like, what's, maybe the harvest isn't here yet, but I saw some seeds get planted. I celebrate the sowing season. I celebrate the watering season. I even celebrate the pruning seasons or trials that God might allow into my life and I can consider in pure joy because I know it's building up character in me. I know that it's setting in me a hope for the future. And so don't, don't get upset about the field that's not grown. Celebrate the one that is. I celebrate with you for the things that God's doing in your life right now. Celebrate it. But my wife and I, we've shared this and made it public years ago. Um, my wife started doing something called the Gratitude Journal, and it was transformational in our home. And, and she just, every night, she just goes up to this journal and says, what are we thankful for? 
Beckett, go. Camden, go. Kyle, what are you thankful for? And like we stop, and like when you, it sounds like, oh, that's cute, that's nice. But when you do that every single day, like you, you, you like want to come up with something fresh, and you, you have to really think about it, and you begin to meditate on those things. And I'm never looking at what's not happening, I'm just looking at the field that there is a harvest. The harvest is always in season, it's just not in the same field all the time. Jesus said, open, open our eyes, the, the fields are, are ripe for harvest. Um, fourth thing here, that the harvest will probably come later than you want, and it'll probably look different than you thought. The old building adage is it'll cost more and take, it'll cost more than you think, and take more time than what you think. Anybody ever worked in construction, never seen that true, or had something work on your house? Whenever they give you the quote, just plan on it, it's going to be a little bit longer, and it's going to cost a little bit more. It's the same thing here. It's probably going to take a little longer than you want. And it's probably not going to look exactly like you think it would. People of Israel experience this just about more than anybody else ever has. You see, to the promised land, it was really only about an 11-day journey if they were really hightailing it. But there was over 2.6 million people traveling. All right? So next time you read through Exodus and Numbers, think about that. Like They were, they were traveling with 2.6 million people. You ever done a caravan before? right? It's kind of annoying to try to keep up with each other when you're driving. 2.6 million people traveling. Like, I'm, I'm guessing some kids got lost in that mix. Um, and it took much longer than what they thought. Look at Numbers chapter 32, verse 13 here. The Lord's anger burned against Israel, and he made them wander in the wilderness 40 years, till the whole generation of those who had done evil in his sight was gone. They were unfaithful, and God just loved what could have been at maximum a 30-day journey with plenty of break time. They could have made it over there, 11 days if they were really booking it. Took them 40 years? Because there was maybe unfaithfulness. There was unfaithfulness in the watering season. There was unfaithfulness in the pruning season. There wasn't, a, there wasn't like immediate repentance of God, yes, just like whatever you want to do in me. There wasn't a waking up and saying, God, we'll trust you for our manna and our quail and whatever you got for us. We'll follow the cloud no matter where you lead us. That was just frustration. It was grumbling. It was, God, God was finally like, look, I'm just going to make you wander for a little while. And it's always going to take us a little longer than what we think it should. We've got blind spots we don't realize. We've got pain that's been swept under the rug for a long time that, that we didn't even realize was there. And God loves, he loves us enough. Remember last week we talked about Ephesians 2.10, that we are his masterpiece. He loves you so much. He is into every detail of how he created you. And he is not wanting to leave anything unhealed and unredeemed. That's how much he loves you. He wants you prepared for eternity when you leave this world. As close as we can get us to it on this side of eternity. He wants us prepared for it. So he wants us redeemed and hold, uh, whole and holy. You see, over 2.6 million people left out of slavery. You know how many people made it? Anybody know how many people made it to the promised land? A whopping two. Two people who started the journey, finished the journey. There was way more people than two. More people were born, but people that actually started that journey an 11 to 30 day journey, two people. It should have taken them just a little bit. They probably thought, 
man, we're all going to go into the promised land, milk and honey, and like all these promises that God spoke, and everything is going to be good. And then it was hard, and then it took a year longer, and then a decade longer, and then two decades longer. We start to doubt God's promises. We start to doubt the things that have been sown. We start to get bitter about the the time we've spent watering and we're not seeing a harvest yet. You start to get bitter about things. And so it's really, when you start to think about it like that, it's really not that surprising. Only two, Joshua and Caleb, that started that journey, saw it to fruition. It takes longer and it it costs us more. And I, I I was thinking about this in my own life. I was thinking about one quote that just stuck out to me that I heard many years ago a pastor shared, and he said, don't overestimate what God wants to do in your life in the short run, and don't underestimate what God wants to do with your life in the long run. Don't overestimate what he wants to do in the short run, but don't underestimate what he's going to do in the long run. One of the things we say, our fourth core value here is creativity, and one of the things that we say with that, it's about the creativity of God and not our creativity. We say many times uh, a shortened version of Philippians 1.6, that he that starts the work it will be faithful to complete it. And we just simply say, God's not finished yet. So in the waiting seasons, in year 27, when you're walking around time number three around the wall, God's not finished yet. Like, and it presses us down to trust him and trust him more. But the, the hard truth that... I think we've got to face ourselves with as many times we see the harvest in our own hands and not in the hands of our Savior who stretched him out for me. Our hope is not in the work of our hands. Our hope is in what Jesus Christ has done for us in stretching out his. It's not, it's not in what I put. It's in what Jesus has inspired and what Jesus has started and what he will be faithful to complete. What he, finish, what he starts, he will begin I think a lot, a lot of us, we think that like our most fruitful years, and, and I love how just diverse age-wise um, this room is today, um, but I think a lot of times for those of you that are, that are under age 30 probably, uh, or if you're, you're you know, just a, a young person today, like you probably think that your like most prime years, like your best, most fruitful years are like ages 24 to 27. Right, come out of college and like I'm just gonna conquer the world. Like for some of you beyond those years, like think back to where you were in that time. You just felt like, man, I'm gonna conquer the world. These are gonna be my most fruitful years. I'm really gonna kill it. And then we find out that it's not the case. I'm not an NFL running back. That's not my prime years. <laughs> that actually your best, most fruitful years will be much later down the road. You're gonna have to work that business for a long time. You're gonna have to develop in you. A, a lot of skills, and God's going to have to do a lot of healing in you much more than what you ever realize. You're going to need a lot of seasons of sowing. It's not going to be, I'm going to sow a $100 gift today, and then like barns are, are overflowing. It's, it's sowing. It's just a continual. You're going to need a lot more pruning than what you realize. You're going to need way more season one, than one pruning season. You're going to need a lot of them. Your most fruitful years will come much later in life than what you realize. Uh, and I believe that on a spiritual and a practical sense, Jesus said that that harvest is going to be greater than what we can imagine. John chapter 15, verse 16, that it, the, the fruit that he is giving us in the harvest 
is an eternal one. It's not just for the temporary, it's eternal. The, the, the harvest will be greater than what we can ever imagine. And finally, the, the story really hits its, its beauty and um, kind of pinnacle and release in Joshua chapter three. One of those two men would be the next leader to lead them into the promised land. And Joshua says in chapter three, verse five, he says something very powerful, and I think it's a word for us today as we enter into this new season. Joshua told the people, consecrate yourselves for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things. Consecrate yourselves for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things. This word consecrate, it's, it was really a deep act that I'm not going to dive too deep into, but it simply means to set yourself aside, to humble yourself before the Lord. If you do, if the harvest is in the pridefulness of your hands, I'm going to work harder, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this. No, it's in like, God, it's one that, re, one that plants and one that reaps, but it's you that makes it grow, so I'm going to humble myself. And God, I just want to be faithful. Like so many of the people of Israel, I'm not going to get stir crazy when it doesn't happen in my, ti- in my time. Galatians um, uh, 6 um, verse 9 says to us, don't grow weary in doing good. Don't, don't grow weary in it because we will reap a harvest. It's a definitive, com- like we're going to reap a harvest. That is great news. Like we're going to reap a harvest. It's gonna come at the proper time if we do not give up. That's the scripture. We're gonna reap a harvest at the proper time. Maybe not in pineapple season, but when orange season comes around, it'll happen. If we, if we don't give up. The, script, the scripture is poignant. It's not an American cliche. It's, it's scripture that what a man reaps, what a woman reaps is because of what she's sown. You reap what you sow. It's not a cliche, and, and don't get that tied up into a salvation message of works. And, and like, there's a little, there's a little bit of dichotomy there that we'd have to explore in a deeper study. But, but know this: like at the proper time, like we're gonna gonna reap a harvest. And I think that the harvest should inspire us to be better sowers. Hard things happen to farmers. I grew up in a, a small farming town called Plant City where all the strawberries, um, there are many of the winter strawberries are, are grown. One of my best friends was a strawberry farmer. And I saw their family hit some hard times every once in a while. When, uh, like, it, they'd get a freeze that really froze all their berries and it, it was devastating. They weren't prepared for it. Um, but what I saw in them, they, they had deep work ethic. I mean, any farmer has a deep work ethic. And, and what they would do is they'd go out and, and they would just do it better next year. They would do it better. They'd make sure that they cared for them more. They would plant some different types of fruits to make sure that if this one wasn't going to have a harvest, there'd be a harvest over here. And so I think that comes to us as well, that, that it should inspire us to be better sowers. If we're looking at the fields, whatever those fields we might be looking at and kind of frustrated by the state they're in, or maybe we're celebrating, man, there's a great harvest here. 
we should look back and think, man, I wish I would have sown more into that. And I just think about this from a kingdom perspective one day. Like sitting in eternity, and, and I, don't, I don't think that we'll be worrying in heaven. So just let me run with this for a second. But I'd hate for us to ever look back and, and be thinking, man, I wish I would have sown more into that relationship. Where's that person in eternity? I wish I would have slowed down and spent more time there. The harvest, plentiful or very few, should inspire us to be better sowers. Jesus made a very honest statement in Matthew chapter 9. He said, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. The workers are few. And one of the things I love about this house and what God's doing here is that he's inspiring people to be about the harvest. And that, that there would be plenty. There would be people that are, are not just coming to serve on a weekend, but there's people that are living this on a daily basis. And God is speaking and working in their homes and in their neighborhoods. And it might take longer than what we realize, and it might be harder than what we realize. Feast will come. But the harvest season, I, I believe, is, is in front of us, as Jesus said. Open your eyes. Fields are ripe for harvest. Next week and for the next four weeks, we're going to start a series called How to Neighbor. How to Neighbor. And we're just going to be walking through a lot of practicals and letting God just do a work in us that's really going to extend our arms into our community. And, and those that are in our neighborhood and that are in our workplace and those that are even in our own family. And God's going to do a deep work in us over this time. I'm going to ask you to stand and I'm going to pray over us and I'll invite us to the table. God, I thank you for your word that is life to us. It's life, God. And, and, and for anyone in this room that was maybe like me, and, and I've just been kind of making the harvest about me, what I can get out of this, God, and what, what, what the work of my hands can accomplish, God, I pray that you would just strip all that away today. Strip all that away and just stir up a passion, God, and a faithfulness, that won't come with seasons, but will be sustained by your grace in every season, God. I, I just, I, I want to see, God, just us just rejoicing in the harvest, as hard as it might be sometimes, rejoicing in it. God, teach us what it means to walk with you and to disciple others, to lead others to this knowledge of your truth and of your kingdom. God, for anyone in the house that just is indifferent and is lacking engagement in, in your kingdom on a daily basis, I pray, God, that you would just, just remind them, God, of where they were before they met you. And if there's anyone in this house, God, that doesn't know you, I pray that today is a day of faith and of declaration as a child of God. God, let these words, let the scriptures resonate within us, these stories of your people, I pray that we look back and today we consecrate ourselves. We humble ourselves before you and are inspired to sow, to sow, to sow. In Christ's name, amen. Um, every single week we come to the, the Lord's Supper, communion, Eucharist, whatever you want to call it. 
And it's a symbol of what Jesus Christ did for us. It's not a, it's not a religious symbol. It's a, it's a spiritual one that Jesus instituted. And he said, do it every time you get together. This is important. Don't want you to miss this. It's important that you come together. And when you do this, you declare my death and resurrection until I return. And so as, as we come today, if you've never said yes to Jesus, real faith in your heart. And when I was talking about the Matthew 13, and you just feel like a weed right amongst the wheat then like that can change in an instant today of just responding to the grace of god that's on your life it's simple it's a it's a gift it's a gift you can't work for it you can't earn it it's a grace gift of god